Our theme this weekend is entitled, Make Me a Servant. Make me a servant. Have you been blessed so far? Make me a servant. Throughout this weekend, we've heard many messages on how you should be a servant, why you should be a servant, but I'm not sure we know what is a servant? What is a servant? We've heard why you should be a servant, how you should be a servant, characteristics of a servant, but why, how, or what is a servant? What is a servant? If you look up in the dictionary, the noun a servant is defined as one who serves another, or one who serves others. And in the Bible, the word servant appears more than 850 times. The servant in the Bible appears more than 850 times, about 700 in the Old Testament, and about maybe 150 in the New Testament. And it is interesting that when this word servant is used in the Bible, it actually doesn't mean a servant. It means a born slave. A slave. Implying that our theme, make me a servant, actually says, make me a slave. Make me a slave. I am not sure if we are ready to be slaves. Are you ready to be a slave? That's what the theme is asking us to be. Make me a slave. Make me a slave. When I think about how New, New Testament writers introduce themselves, for example, if you go to Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Here is how Paul introduces himself. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Paul, a servant. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. You go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, the same thing. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. Uh, Paul and Timothy, the slaves of Jesus Christ. You go to Titus chapter 1, verse 1, same thing. The same thing continues. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and acknowledging of the truth which is after the godliness, which is after godliness. You go to James chapter 1, verse 1. And this is how, again, James also introduces himself. James, a servant. James, a slave of God. You go to Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter also says, uh, Simon Peter, a servant, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our faith and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jude also introduces himself as a slave. John, in the book of Revelation, you get the picture. 
they all knew themselves not necessarily as a servant, but rather as a slave. Implication, they understood their identity in Jesus Christ, that they were slaves of Jesus Christ. My mind races me to Romans 6, particularly verse, I think, 17 or 18, where Paul says that while we were slaves of sin, but now in Christ we have become slaves of what? Slaves of righteousness. The freedom that is in Jesus Christ, the liberty, the hope that is in Jesus Christ, but yet a slave of Jesus Christ. It seems contradictory that while you can be a slave, but also there is freedom. It's, myst it's a mystery. That at the same time you're a slave of Jesus Christ, but in Jesus Christ there is freedom, there is liberty. Paul reminds us not to misuse the liberty we have in Jesus Christ. A slave of Jesus Christ. Don't you want to be a slave of Jesus Christ? Don't you want to experience the freedom from sin because of Jesus Christ? Don't you want to experience the peace that is in Jesus Christ as a result of being a slave of Jesus Christ? You think of everything that Paul went through, but at the end he considered, when he introduced himself, he says, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to ask you the question, are you a slave of Jesus Christ? The New Testament writers and the Old Testament writers, they both understood uh, that they were slaves of God. That they were slaves of God. That all things have passed away and now their eyes are focused on the new things. They have chosen to serve God rather than serve the world. They have chosen to serve God rather than be slaves of the world. So this morning, I want to ask a rhetorical question. Who are you a slave of? Are you a slave of God? Or are you a slave of the world? Or are you a slave of your computer? Are you a slave of your education? Are you a slave of your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife? Who are you a slave of? We've heard the why we should be a servant, how we should be a servant, but what is a servant? Where is a servant? So I continue to ask this morning, who are you a slave of? Perhaps you're a slave of Facebook, occupies most of your time, or Twitter. Whatever it is, this morning we are asked again, who are you a slave of? What is a servant? What is a slave? Don't you want to be a slave of Jesus Christ? This morning, I want to invite you to take a look with me at one who is a slave, the mind of a slave. And that will be the title of our sermon this morning, The Mind of a Slave. We're going to look at the, how a slave behaves, the mind of a slave. Turn with me to Genesis 24. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, what a privilege, what an opportunity, what a freedom that we have in Jesus Christ to be called 
out of darkness into this marvelous light, to be called the sons of God. Lord, as we linger again in your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit may enlighten our minds to grasp what it means to be a servant. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 24. The book of Genesis, chapter 24. This should be a familiar passage to many. Genesis, chapter 24. This is the marriage of Isaac. This is the marriage of Isaac, and I'll be reading from verse 1. Perhaps since we're small, maybe we could have volunteers. Let's read, we'll start here, read verse, each one, one verse. Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. And so here we see, this gives us just a backdrop to our study this morning. Here we see Abraham is old, and he's about to die, he's about to pass away. And before he passes away, he calls his servant, he calls his servant, the Bible says, the eldest servant of his house. He calls his eldest servant and he gives them a specific mission to go and find a wife for his son, Isaac. And as the story goes, he prays, he asks the Lord to guide him, and the Lord blesses his mission. The Lord blesses his mission. Verse 12 says, And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and true kindness unto my master Abraham. Verse 13, Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Verse 14, And it came to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, I'll give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto thy master. And so as the story goes, Rebecca comes to the well, and Rebecca, as the story says, Rebecca waters the camels, Rebecca gives water to this servant, and this servant is moved, and he knows clearly that God has blessed his mission. Amen? He knows clearly that God has blessed his mission. And now we turn to verse 27. This is uh, the servant responding after God has blessed him, after God has showed him that this is the woman. Verse 27, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. And the damsel ran and told them of her mother's house these things verse 29 and the rebecca had a rebecca had a brother and his name was laban and laban ran out unto the men and unto the well now jump with me to verse 32 and the man came into the house, and he underguarded his camels, and gave straw and provender of the camels, and water to wash his feet, and the, and the men's feet that were with him. Verse 33, and there was set a meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told my errand. And he said, speak on. 
point number one, the mind of a servant. Here he comes, God has blessed him, God has given him everything he has prayed for, but when he came to Rebekah's house, when they told him, sit, be entertained, because it, was not, it wasn't just going to be food, but it was also going to be entertainment, but he said, no, I will not eat until I have told my errand. Point number one, the mind of a servant. A servant is dedicated to the mission. Nothing distracts a servant, a slave, from the mission. Nothing, whether it's food or entertainment, nothing. The mission comes before his needs. The mission comes before his needs, before his personal needs, the mind of a servant. And here we are looking in the mind of one of the greatest servants in the Old Testament, one of the greatest slaves in the Old Testament. And here we can see how his mind is operating. He's been traveling across the, across the desert, but when he came there, he would rather say his mission first before he meets his personal needs. I remember the 300 men of Gideon. They were chosen because they prioritized the mission of God first before their personal needs. Mission comes before personal needs. Perhaps today, this morning, your education is far more important than advancing the cause of God. Perhaps your work is much more important today than the work of God. Perhaps it is your relationship. You can fill in the blanks. But I want to remind you today that the cause of God continues today. Whether you choose or not, the cause of God continues. I encourage you rather to consider the cause of God. Make the mission of God first in your life, and the Lord will take care of your needs. Amen? Make the mission of God a priority, and God will take care of your needs. And so here, here we see the mind of a servant. First point, how the mind, of a, the mind is so dedicated to the mission before anything else. And you know, it is Philip Brooks who said, it does, it does not take great men to do great things. It only takes consecrated men. It doesn't take great men to do great things. It only takes consecrated men. I'm reminded of Plato. Plato wrote the first sentence, the first sentence of his famous Republic, nine different ways before he was satisfied. First sentence alone. Consecration. Cicero, it is said that he practiced speaking before friends every day for 30 years to perfect his elocution. Noah Webster, from whom we get the Webster Dictionary, it is said that he labored for 36 years before he produced his first dictionary. Consecration to a purpose, to a mission. Milton rose every day at 4 a.m. to write his Paradise Lost. Consecration. Gibbon spent 26 years on his decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Consecration. A mission. Commitment to a mission. 
that comes before anything else. And here we see the servant of Abraham, that he was so dedicated to this mission that nothing would come first but the mission. Is the mission of God your first priority? We are talking about make me a servant. And here we are looking at the mind of a servant. The mind of a servant. The priority, priorities of a servant. Let me remind you that God is not in need of more youth conferences. If you go to many youth conferences, as sometimes many of you do, you, you, you become tired of them. God is not in need of more youth conferences, more programs, but he needs more consecrated men and women. More consecrated men and women. Servants, but not servants, but slaves. Slaves who say, I pledge my all to you. That's what God needs. Men and women who are consecrated to him. A servant is 100% consecrated to the mission of his master. The mission is greater than the person. Let me say that again. The mission is greater than you and I. This is what Eliezer teaches us, the servant. He teaches us that the mission was greater than him, himself. Because he would rather die of hunger before he says his mission. He must say his mission first before he gets fed. The mission is greater than the person. The mission is greater than all of us. That's how important is the mission of God. The cause of God. It transcends all our personal needs. Verse 34, the Bible says, And he said, I am Abraham's servant. In fact, you look at this, he says, I am Abraham's servant. Throughout this chapter, this servant is not known. We don't know his name. We don't know his name. I know some of you are saying his name is Eliezer. But this chapter gives us not his name. Some say he's probably Eliezer in Genesis chapter 15. Yes, Ellen White does confirm that he's Eliezer. But I want you to take the point that the chapter doesn't mention his name. His name is pointless. Who he is doesn't matter. What matters is the mission. To us, he's a known servant. All we have is he is a servant. And when he introduces himself, he says, I am Abraham's servant. He doesn't say, my name is this and this, and my education is this and this, and my position in my master's house is this and this. But he says, my, I, am, I am Abraham's servant. That's how he introduces himself. The servant is not known. In fact, you look at throughout all this chapter, the, what keeps coming up is that he is a servant. He is a servant. He is a slave. He is, he is identified by his identity that he's a slave rather than his name or what he does or what his education is. He is a slave. Verse 34 tells us that he introduces himself as Abraham's servant. Verse 51, it tells us that they knew him as Abraham's servant, nothing else. And you see this also in verse 52. 
And it came to pass that when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing, bowing himself to the earth. He's not known by anything else, but he's known as only a slave of Abraham. Let me ask you, are you known as a slave of God where you live, where you work, where you go to school? Do your friends know you and die as slaves of God? Or they know us by our GPA? Or they know us by our promotion? Or they know you by how many people you have baptized? Or they know you as a slave of God? We noted that in the New Testament, every New Testament writer, they understood themselves that they were slaves of God before anything else. In fact, they, they regarded that so highly that they put every time at the introduction of their letters to the churches. I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, nothing else. So are you known as a servant, as a slave of Jesus Christ? And I ask today, where are the youth who care for nothing, nothing else, not for their glory, nor for their fame, but the Lord's cause and the Lord's knowledge? Where are the youth today who, whose education is so secondary, but God's cause is number one? Where are the youth today who want to know and make known the master? You realize that here Eliezer was making, the, making his master known more than himself. Every time he introduced himself, he introduced himself as the, master, as the slave of Abraham. So people knew more of Abraham than they knew more about him. People knew more about the slave, more about, more about the master than the slave. And so every time we read this chapter, he says, the servant of Abraham. I am the servant of Abraham. I'm the, ma I'm the slave of Abraham. Where are the youth today? That will say, we want to make God known more than we want our fame to be known, more than we want our names to be known. Where are those youth today? I think of our pioneers who worked so hard to make the name of our Lord known throughout the entire world that in a single generation they had reached the entire world. Where are the youth today? I remember, I want to remember the words of Ellen White. I was reading the testimonies to the church, volume one, when, the chapter, the death of my husband, when she writes, when I saw my husband breathe his last, I felt that Jesus was more precious to me than he ever has been in any previous hour of my life. When I stood by my firstborn and closed his, his eyes in death, I could say, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when his last born was also taken away, she says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
And when her husband died, and this is what she wrote, and when her husband died, she wrote, and when upon whose large affection I had leaned, with whom I had labored for 36 years was taken away, I could lay my hands upon his eyes and say, I commit my treasure to thee until the morning of the resurrection. The best way, the best way, I and my family and my kids can honor the, mem the memory of him who has fallen is to take up the work where he left and in the strength of Jesus carry it forward to completion. The mind of a slave. The mind of a slave. Would you say such a words if you had lost everything that was dear to you? Notice the mind of a slave. Before we go and do mission, God asks us to be slaves first. Amen? Before we do and do so many of a mission, God is asking, are you a slave first? Had Ellen White not been a slave first, I'm not sure she would have had the courage to sustain these tragedies. But she said to my master, once again, I commit my all. I and my kids will move forward until this work is completed. Such is the mind of a slave. The mind of a slave does not regard his or her identity first, but the identity of the master. The servant is not known at all. But so many of us want to be known first before God is known. This runs everywhere, whether in academia. I mean, the reason people rush to tenure is because we were talking yesterday uh, with a friend. And the reason so many people get so uh, quick tenure because they publish a lot and their names are known a lot. You see it in academia. You see it in our churches. You see it in preachers, you know. Oh, we want to get this preacher. Is that preacher preaching? Oh, I'm going there. But do we want to know the master first or do we want to know the speaker first? Are you a slave of the master? Are you a slave of the master? And this servant, the goal of his servant was to make, to know and make his master known. And this is what he shows us. Notice with me the phrase, my master, in this chapter, my master. Start with me in verse 12. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master. To any slave, the most important person is the master. Is Christ the most important person in your life? To this servant, the most important person was his master. And so he said, my master, 19 times in this chapter, the phrase, my master, is repeated. 19 times. Verse 14, you see it again towards the end. My master. Verse 27, and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. My master. This servant is known by his master. My master. 
Verse 35, and the Lord has blessed my master greatly. Verse 36, and Sarah, my master's wife, bear a son to my master. Verse 37, and my master. Verse 39, and my master. Literally, the entire chapter is not about the servant and what he does, but rather about the master. If someone looks at your life and mine, do they see the master in our lives? Everything you could read about this servant was about the master. What is it that when a person sees when they see? We are talking about being made servants. The mind of a servant. My master, he seeks to make his master known more than anyone else, more than the mission more than who he is, but the master. Nineteen times this thing, this, this phrase is repeated. The master. So who is your master? Who is your master? Is the youth conferences like this one, ECYC, your master? Is my education my master? The person I hope to, to, to join in my life with, are they my master? Who is your master? Are your parents your master? You know, Dan was talking about the expectations yesterday in the Korean families. Are your parents your masters? Are your parents your masters? Do you hope to please your parents by going to medical school or to becoming a lawyer or to do whatever you want to be? Who is your master? And this servant shows us who is his servant. He's known by his master's name. His name is Abraham's servant. We don't know his name. Oh, I wish that I could be known not by my name, by my master's name. That when a person looks at me and say, that is a servant of Jesus Christ. That is a slave of Jesus Christ. Because my name means nothing. Essentially, what matters is my relationship with my master. And actually, here you also see an intimate relationship with Jesus. You see an intimate relationship with his master. My master, he was so personal to him. And the introduction of the chapter tells us that he was the eldest servant in his house. He had served there for long. Now, notice, notice with me something else. Verse 2, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. He had everything in his master's house, but yet he still considered himself as a servant. He had everything. He didn't come and say, I'm the chief staff of Abraham's house. No, he said, I'm the slave of Abraham's house. Or that we may be known by our master's name, not by the cars we drive, the husband and wives we have, the education we are pursuing, that we may be known by our master's name. I want to submit you today uh, that our mission, our consecration, is dependent on our relationship with our master. 
the mission of this servant was dependent on his relationship with his master. His master told him, go, the angel of the Lord will go before you. His success was dependent upon his relationship with his master. Because his master gave him the assurance that the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord whom I serve, will go before you. His identity is rooted in his master. Is your identity and mine rooted in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? His mission was defined by the Lord. And I talked to the leaders here of ECYC. The missions you are planning, are they the Lord's missions or your missions? The careers we are choosing, the places we want to go to work, is it because the master has sent us there or is it because we want to go there? Because if the Lord has sent us there, if the master has sent us there, success is guaranteed. Amen? If the master has sent us there, success is guaranteed. But if we have sent ourselves there, then we are bound to have failures. Is my career, my relationship, everything that revolves around my life, is it determined by the master? The master defined the mission. The master also defined the servant's identity. Who he was, what he did, revolved around the master. The mind of a servant. The mind of a servant. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, I love these words. He says, the love of Christ constrains us. What Paul did, everything he did, was because of the love of God. This was, this was, this was what propelled him to do everything he did. The miles he traveled, the, 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 the beatings he received, it was because of the love of God. So are we doing the missions because of the love of God? Do we want to be servants because of the love of God? This is the undergirding principle. This servant went on this mission because he loved his master. He called his master, my master. Not anyone else. Is Jesus your Jesus? Is he my Jesus? There is an experiential aspect here. My master, my Jesus, my Lord and my all, is God your everything? Is God your everything? Because if God is your everything, if you have chosen to be a slave of God, there is freedom. It is not slavery by force, but slavery by choice. There is liberty in this slavery. Amen? It is not slavery by force, but slavery by choice. And this choice comes with liberty, with freedom, with hope, and with peace. Oh, test and see that the Lord is good. That you may know, Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I have counted everything I have ever pursued in my life. I have counted them dung. I have counted them garbage. But for the excellence of knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
I want to know nothing else. When he arrived in Corinth, he told them, I am determined to know nothing else among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified alone. Is this your desire? As you go through the academic halls, as you go through your institution at work, that I am determined to know nothing else save to know Jesus Christ. Save to know Jesus Christ. Some of us think that we can never find Jesus in our workplaces. If we can't find him there, we should make him known there. Amen? If we can't find Jesus in our schools, we should make him known there. Amen? We should make him known there. I remember uh, the, the experience of uh, John Wesley at Oxford when they started the Holy Club movement at Oxford. They started calling him, they didn't name themselves Holy Club, but because everyone observed them and said, these guys are holy. And they called them holy people and they formed the Holy Club. And the rest is history. We have the Methodist Church today because of those few men and women who started that movement at Oxford to make our Lord and Savior known, to know him and make him known. So I ask this morning, where are the youth who have this mind of a slave? The mind of a slave that he's so dedicated to the mission that nothing will deter him from the mission. That he's so selfless, so selfless, that he desires nothing, desire nothing to be known about him, save his master. You know, it was Leonard Levin here when he was writing about the experience of Paul, especially after Corinth. What his, these are the words he writes about Paul. He says, Paul had no side issues, no books to sell. He had no ambitions and so had nothing to be jealous about. He had no reputation, so had nothing to fight about. He had no possession and therefore nothing to worry about. He had no rights, so therefore he could not suffer wrong. He was already broken, so no one could break him. He was dead so none could kill him. He was less than the least, so who could humble him? He suffered the loss of all things, so none could defraud him. This is Paul. And I think also this is the servant, the mind of a servant. And that's the mind of Jesus Christ that we are invited to embrace in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ who humbled himself to become a servant, to become a slave for you and I. Have you ever considered that your creator and my creator, the creator of all of us, considered himself a slave to you and I? That he humbled himself to be a slave to you and I. That by doing so, you and I could have eternal life. The mind of a servant the mind of a servant. I think about Isaac's words when he, 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 he glanced at this, this, this Christ, at this Lord of our Lord, and he penned those precious words, when I severed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. My richest gain I count but loss. Here is the mind of a servant that when he is about to say his mission, he doesn't introduce himself who he is, but he introduces the master first. My richest gain I count but loss. 
Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my everything. Does the love of God demand my everything? The mind of a servant. The mind of a servant. In closing, I want to share with you the story of Chadi. I met Chadi this July in Austria. Chadi comes from, he's from Middle East. And Chadi just completed his pharmacy school. He's a pharmacist right now. Chadi is in his mid-twenties. He became a Seventh-day Adventist in February. But Chadi's story is interesting. Chadi grew up in the Middle East, in Islamic setting, but he already had a desire to be filled in his life. He felt purposeless and meaningless in his life. And one day, he went in the library searching and he read this piece of paper and said, if you need, if you want to follow the Bible, this piece of paper was a photocopy that was made by a priest in that library. And so he left it in the archives. So Chadi came into the archives, landed on, his, on this piece of paper. And he read it, and he, the piece of paper said, if you, want to be a, if you want to be a follower of God and a follower of the Bible, you must be a Seventh-day Adventist. Just like that. Next few days, Chadi went online. And I kid you not, these are his words. He locked himself in the room for three days, no food, nothing. And he listened everything that was on Audioverse. Bless the Audioverse. He listened to every message of the GYC on Audioverse. He listened to everything that was on Audioverse. And in February, he became a Seventh-day Adventist. And he says, my mission in the Middle East, he lives in Lebanon. My mission in Lebanon is to know Christ and make him know the mind of a servant. I can share with you another story of a young man I shall leave unnamed. He lives in Syria. Same story, like Chad, he lives in Syria. But because of what's happening in Syria, every week he travels back in Syria and ministers, nurtures 21 families. He's 21. He counts his life nothing, nothing in light of his master. Do you count your life nothing for the sake of the master? Because whatever you lack, God will provide. We've talked about this freedom in Christ. I, I wish we had time that we could spend the freedom that we have in Christ, the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. The liberty we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And this young man, every week he gets up and, and sneaks somehow, I don't know how he does it, he sneaks back into Syria and ministers to 21 families. He counts his life nothing for the excellence of his master. 
the mind of a servant. The mind of a servant. Is your mind the mind of a slave? This morning we've looked at the mind of Abraham's servant. That he was so radically committed to the mission that nothing, not even his personal needs, would come in the way of the mission. That the mission was far more important than him as a person. Secondly, we saw that this servant, that who he was didn't matter at all, but his master was what mattered in his life. His master was everything to him. His master was all and in all for him. Thirdly, we saw that he sought to make, to know and make his master known. He's known by his master's name, evidenced by 19 times he repeats, my servant, my servant. This morning, I want to invite you to consider becoming a slave. Not a servant, but a slave. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Somewhere deep within your heart, this morning you're saying, Lord, I came here this weekend unsure what I should be. Unsure of even who I am. Unsure of my calling, my purpose in life. Unsure of what I should be. But this weekend, Lord, I've heard what it means to be a servant. What is a servant? The mind of a servant. Father, I've never considered this step before, but I want to be fully a slave for you. If that is your prayer, I invite you to stand. That is your prayer saying, I want to be a slave for the Lord. For my happiness, my joy is, is intertwined with being a slave for the master. There is freedom in being a slave for the Lord. There is peace in being a slave for the Lord. And I want to consider this. Secondly, you're saying, Lord, though I have chosen to be a slave for you, but I want to count the promise that while I'm, I am struggling with a certain issue, a certain sin, a certain issue in my life, I know there is liberty in Jesus Christ. And I want to experience that freedom. I don't know what that thing is in your life. You and God knows. It may be the time you spend on your computer. That you want to say, Lord, I want to carve down the time I spent on my computer and give the rest of the time in studying your word. Give the rest of the time in sharing with others to make you known to others. To become a servant, to become a slave of you wherever I am. If that is your prayer, I invite you to come forward.
on my left side. Come on my left side. You're saying, Lord, you alone knows my struggle. You know my hunger. And I realize I cannot experience this freedom unless I utterly and wholeheartedly give you to myself. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and every heart is praying. Because every heart wants to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Thirdly and final, you're saying, Lord, I've given you my all. But I want to give all, everything. What if you can give all? What if you can give everything that you have for the master? And you're saying, Lord, I want to begin by dedicating my 20s to the Lord. But most of all, I want to first give a one year of mission, come to my right. One year as a missionary, come to my right. Lord, I want to spend one year of my life as a missionary. Because if I'm a slave, there should be also indication that I'm a slave of you. And I want to do that by becoming a missionary for one year. Come to my right. Come to my right. Thank you, sisters. Come to my right, saying, I want to spend one year of my life as a missionary, Lord. I'm tired. I'm tired of serving self. I am tired. I want to experience Christ in my life. I want to experience God working miracles in my life. I'm tired of shallow experience. I need deep experiences with the Lord. I'm tired of twilight experiences, as Ellen White describes it. So many of us are content with twilight experiences. But how many of us are praying and longing for deep experiences with God? We read about men and women of faith, but why not us? And so you're saying, Lord, I want to be counted among those who experience deep things of God. Come to my right. Say, Lord, I want to dedicate one year of my life as a missionary. Come to my right. Come to my right. Let's all kneel as we pray. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe of your presence. At this hour, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit may search and prick our hearts 
many of us stand in your presence, Lord, knowing that we are not worthy servants, we are not worthy slaves to be considered, to be counted and called sons and daughters of God. For we have not given you our all. Loving God, we pray that this morning we have not we have not much to offer, but we have a heart we can give. And that is what you need most than anything else. This morning, Father, we pray that for every individual who have consciously chosen to surrender their entire heart to you, that you may seal that decision. We pray for the ones on my right who have committed one year of their lives to be missionaries, to be slaves of God, to know and make you known to others. Wherever you lead them, Father, we pray that you may sustain them. Send them, Lord, only sustain them. Lay any burden upon your heart. Sustain them, Lord. Send them and go with them. Sever any ties that binds them to the world. Save the ties that binds them to your heart and your heart alone. We pray also for the ones on my left. Father, your promise is sure. Your ear is not too dull to hear, nor your hand too short to save. For we are promised victory in Jesus Christ. Though we are tossed to and fro, but your promise is sure. So we pray that this morning, this promise may be realized in the lives of my brothers and sisters on my left. Grant them victory, Lord, for you have promised. Father, as we leave this place, Lord, we pray that your angels may be with us, that this may not be just another youth gathering, but rather it may be a birth of ours where we first experienced what it means to serve God with all our hearts. May we offer our hearts to you once again. Take them, Lord, for we cannot give them. Make them yours, for we cannot keep them for you. Take our hearts and circumcise the foreskins of our hearts, Lord. For our hearts are bent towards evil. Make us your slaves. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, 
please visit www.audioverse.org.